This is Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Greetings and welcome to Wrestling Nostalgia. I am your host, Dave Dynasty. This is a podcast where I talk to uh, good people in the wrestling business and we wax nostalgic about the good old days. Uh, and just basically all we do is discuss what we like about wrestling. And uh, during that time, we also get to know those people a little better and about their past. And we do that today with a great, great guest, a good friend of mine, Bob Smith, former writer uh, for many wrestling magazines and the current host of the Outdated Wrestling Hour. Uh, Bob is a uh, is a great guy to talk to. I've been on his podcast. Uh, he's now been on mine. Uh, he will be back again in the future because, I mean, I could just talk for hours with Bob. Uh, we got a great interview coming up in just a bit. I don't really have a whole lot to talk about here in the open. Um, nothing really uh, newsworthy that I felt that I need to give my two cents uh, worth. I feel like there's enough people online and on social media that are giving their opinions on things. And you know what? None of it is uh, interesting enough to me to comment on. So there you go. That is the news portion of wrestling nostalgia. Uh, but make sure you do follow us on our social media platforms because I do sometimes uh, you know, comment on things here and there. I do share a lot of uh, historical wrestling dates, uh, birthdays, uh, different things like that. So you can uh, follow me on Twitter at the Dave Dynasty. Uh, you can also look me up. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Threads. All those things. Uh, so look me up there. But uh, Twitter or X or whatever they call it now is the best place to follow me at the Dave Dynasty. Make sure you also follow me or subscribe to me. Excuse me on YouTube, uh, YouTube.com/slash/TheDaveDynasty, where I post lots of classic wrestling and all of the podcasts I do. Uh, so there you go. That's the way to follow me. That's the way to see those things. Uh, but now uh, let's take a quick little break. And uh, when I come back, I will have Bob Smith on to chat. So stick around. If you like horror movies, be sure to check out Dave Dynasty and Ike Isaacs on the Listen to Their Screams Horror Podcast. It is available on all podcast platforms and on social media at Listen to Screams. That is Listen, the number two in Screams. All right, and welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. At this point, I mean, joined by Bob Smith, a former pro wrestling magazine writer and the host of the Outdated Wrestling Hour. Bob, how are you? I'm doing fine. It's Yes, it's a long way since those uh, PWI days, but I'm still here, my friend. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Well, we're going to talk all about those PWI days because everything I ever wanted to know about PWI in the past, I'm going to ask you, Bob. And, uh, sure. We're going we're gonna to see what you say. And uh, mm -hmm. pull back the curtain, but uh, I, go ahead. I always consider myself like one of the last of the Mohegans of that. You know, they're doing a great job now. Mm -hmm. The magazine has been revived over the last year. It looks really good. Uh, Kevin and Brian and uh, Alan, all those guys, they're doing a fantastic job. But one thing I want to say is, I always consider myself the Martin Short of the PWI <laughs> staffers. And the reason I say that is, if you ever watched SCTV, you know, the original cast had John Candy on it. Yeah. Well, after about five years, he decided to leave the show and he was replaced by Martin Short. So he was great, but he was like one of the latecomers to the show, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Stu, Stu Sachs was already there. Craig Peters was already there. Dave Rosenbaum had been there. Bill Apter was there and Andy Rodriguez. I just kind of walked in and joined them one day. And uh, yeah. I got six good years out of it and uh, I don't regret a second of it. It was a real blast working for them. 
Yeah. Well, don't sell yourself short. Martin Martin Short's a funny guy in his own right. So. <laughs> so don't uh, I, don't undermine yourself here. <laughs> yeah, if I was one tenth that funny, I'd be making more money. I'll tell you that much. So, but right. but any but anyway, <laughs> no, it's it was um, coolest way I got that job. Did I ever tell you how I got the job? They they had a two they had yeah. a two line ad in New York Times. Really? Yeah, two lines. It said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, editor slash writer wanted for sports entertainment pub. I said, sports entertainment, that's wrestling. Send resume clips to box something, 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 RVC, New York. I said, RVC, that's Rockville Center, New York. That's PWI. And I applied and I got the job. Yeah. So at that time, you were you you were, were you still writing for newspaper? The newspaper? I was I was working I had worked for two newspapers before we decided to move to New York. Uh, we were from upstate New York. We wanted to move to New York City, so we did. And I floundered around a little bit. I was working for a magazine called Pro Sound News. I was writing about uh, cables for guitars. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. It was an industry. It was an industry magazine. It was all about like amplifiers and synthesizers uh, and, and cables and wires and you name it. Anything to do with professional sound. And it was actually a kind of cool place. And it was a good magazine. It was like the billboard of musician stuff. I could, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. But I was only there for like three weeks, and I answered that one end and got the other job, and I had to leave them quite quickly. I'm sure they weren't happy, but I got my dream job. What are you going to do, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the musician thing, that probably was pretty good for you too, right? Because you're also a musician, right? You're yeah. also a, you're a singer, right? Yeah, you... I, was, I, was a, I was a singer. I haven't touched a mic since 2009. I just um, – it was a situation where financially things weren't great. Um, and I had been on the road on and off for 15 years, doing it whenever I could. And at that point, there was a situation in my household where I said, you know, I don't want, I don't feel like spending money on my advocation when, you know, things are a little tight. So at that point, I just said, oh, I'll put it off for a few weeks. And I just never went back. <laughs> but you, but, but you got quite a, quite a resume as a musician, right? I mean, you sung with some great, great blues musicians. I worked with Duke Robillard, produced one of my records, who used to be with the Fabulous Thunderbirds. He's a legendary blues artist who founded Roomful of Blues. Mm -hmm. I was on stage with B.B. King 10 times, which I, is a great career highlight for me. Yeah. I was blues radio shower being interviewed by, um, excuse me, let me say that again, House of Blues Radio Hour. Uh, mm -hmm. Times being interviewed by Dan Aykroyd. So yeah. I got my name out there, and I, you know, it wasn't just demos, it was the real deal. We had a kind of an urban, um, funky R&B sound to what we did, and we had a blast. I had a blast. Played the Chicago Blues Festival a couple of times. I mean, we did about everything you could do in blues, and I don't regret a second of it. I loved every minute of it. It was great. Yeah, I'm curious. Do you? Uh, I, I'm originally from Indiana, but we had a uh, we have a the oldest bar in Indiana is in Indianapolis, the Slippery Noodle Inn. It's a, it's a great blues bar. Oh, that's a famous place. Yeah, yeah, that is a that is an outstanding place. Uh, to to see live music. Well, around the country, we played the Chicago Blues Festival. We played a bunch of places. We played uh, Manny's Car Wash was a great club in New York City. We played there often. We also played Chicago Blues in New York, if that makes any sense. <laughs> played Buddy Guys in Chicago. We played. Uh, I'm trying to think of other famous places we've been uh, done. Blind Willie's in Atlanta was awesome. Yeah, maybe the finest blues club I've ever played. It was just great. So we we did make the rounds. 
I only toured the right side of the country, you know, drove the van every step of the way. <laughs> I was crazy in those days, man. We, 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 would, we would drive 17 miles to Cincinnati for a one-nighter and then turn around and go home. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy, crazy, that's, but that's, that's what you had to do, you know? Yeah, it's not that far removed from professional wrestling, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It felt the same way. Everybody in one room, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Crazy. We were nuts. Driving all night for a hot dog and a handshake. I mean, it's it's not it's not. Well, that. no, the money money was a little better than that, but because a lot of times, the, if you played a better venue, they'd put you up for the night. Yeah, right. So the, uh, I'd say about half the time, though. You know, in blues, you'd play you'd play a, an amphitheater for a blues festival, but you'd proceed it with five gigs in in uh, you know tiny little bars on the way down and on the way back, just to you know to keep your expenses up. You know, so. Yeah. Um, it had its ups and downs. I, I loved all of it. It was great. I, and again, I worked with great people, great people locally here in the New York area. Oh gosh. I, I, I sometimes forget how lucky I was. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge, uh, blues music fan. I went to the Slipper Noodle all the time. Gone, I've gone to many festivals and everything. Uh, love it. So, uh, that's, that's probably a little known fact. A lot of people would not know that Bob Smith once, uh, once sung in a blues band. Well, it, it, I, it's because I kept it separate. You know, my yeah. professional name was Robert Charles, and it was spelled funny, C-H-A-R-E-L-S. My the albums are still in print on, like, Spotify and Amazon and stuff like that. But um, it, it was another fluke of my life. I started out as a guy who used to jam a lot in area bands or in area clubs in Long Island, and then it just one thing led to another. I started working with better, better musicians. A guy like Larry Mitchell, who's a great session musician, saw us once and said, you know, you really ought to record, and that started the whole thing in yeah. 1995, and then we just kept doing it, doing it, doing it. And so, uh, I worked with a lot of great blues musicians over the years, and, uh, man, it's I, I do miss it, but it's hard. You know, it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's probably a little different than when you were involved. I mean, it's the music industry is always evolving. And, uh, well, it, it, it's a funny thing. Um, <laughs> I say if you're famous in blues, you might as well be playing polkas because <laughs> the blues community is its own little thing. The man on the street does not know it at all. Yep, right. And in trying to play, you know, essentially a Southern style in New York City doesn't always go over. We always, you know, we lived in a Long Island area, but we did great on the road. We'd come home and people would say, Oh, you guys again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like, you know, it was, it's a funny thing. And yeah. if you, we, we played in Florida a lot, people would say, Oh, you're from New York. That's great. And in New York, nobody cared. <laughs> I, I got to be honest, Long Island is a horrible scene for blues music. There's just yeah. no scene for it. Yeah. So when you, you, you know, when, I'm, when we're doing Sun House covers, to the audience who's screaming "Freebird" all the time, it's kind of hard to do, you know. Yeah, I imagine. So, so, so when you decided to take a break from music, is that when you started really dove into the writing? No, 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 no. It it was all part and parcel. In fact, when I saw the writing of the wall with PWI because they were moving, it gave me an opportunity to veer into the music scene. Oh, so okay, basically, I got you. it was the PWI years followed by on and off on the road for 15 years while working a job. You know, I had a part-time uh, writing job. I, I've worked for a lot of different places. So yeah. I was able to do the music and the writing at the same time. And then I gotcha. just segued back into full-time writing and worked for an entertainment magazine for 17 years until uh, 2021. So yeah. it's like, I've been surrounded by music my whole career. Yeah. When, when did, uh, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? I mean, how far back does that go? Oh, a long time. I was always a natural affinity for it. You know, I worked in my high school newspaper and in college I worked on it. And um, 
actually ended up getting a job with my hometown newspaper, which was the greatest proving ground. And, uh, you know, at the time you think, oh, what a rinky dink little local paper. But you know what? It was called the Catskill Daily Mail. It was an Associated Press newspaper. I only worked there for about two years and won about, I'd say, th three awards for writing within my time there. And I just moved up and up and up into bigger and bigger companies and stuff like that. And uh, I, I won an award for an interview I did with Mike Tyson when he turned 20 years old. And that won a major award in New York State. And the beauty part with that is that's great resume fodder for a company that uh, publishes wrestling and boxing magazines, yeah. right? So I, yeah. I got the Hans yeah. Dusak's this award-winning article, as well as you know a copy of the award and all this stuff. It, it's um, I um, was the perfect candidate to get my job at PWI, and uh, I, I'm glad I got it. It was quite an experience, it really was. Yeah, the, the Catskill—that's the—that's where Mike Tyson's from, right? He's from that area in New York, isn't he? Well, uh, well, actually, I think he was from Brooklyn, but he ended up uh, coming to Catskill because uh, he worked at a boxing gym over the police station in Catskill, New York, called the Catskill Boxing Club. Gotcha. Custom Auto was his manager, and that's where they trained, so that's where he ended up. Yeah, man, what a phenom at that time. He just... Oh, my gosh. I got to tell you, it's just walking across the street. Our newspaper office was directly across the street from the boxing club, and I used to be able to go in and out of there like I own the place, if you can imagine this. And I would go in there and just watch him work out. Watching Mike Tyson at 19, 20, 21 years old just work out is one of the great sports experiences I ever had. He's a phenomenal natural athlete. I did, yeah. Oh, and punched like, punched like a mule kick, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> no greater athlete I have ever seen him with my own eyes than Mike Tyson. No question yeah. about it. He was, man, his fights were just can't miss. I remember they, oh, were, they were events. Well, you remember the beginning when they had him start out and they had him fight once a month? Yeah, yeah. He used to just pulverize everybody in that point because he was yep. fighting other unknown fighters. He he was he was so intense and so well brutal. I mean, he yeah. would he was like a boxing heel. You just knew this guy was going to run all over the local favorite, you yeah. know. <laughs> and he really did. I think he went twenty and zero or twenty three and zero before you know anybody knew even what happened. We all knew he was destined for greatness, and he did achieve it. Uh, I the sad part is he did kind of burn it out just as fast. But when he was on top, he was great. Yeah, so so then let's talk about when you're with PWI. Like um, I could talk boxing and blues all day, but uh, we're, we're this is a wrestling podcast, so I guess. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, we'll, right. we'll transition over. Okay. And uh, <laughs> when one thing that uh, I mean, everybody knows you wrote for PWI. But one thing that maybe they don't know is you were an integral piece in the development of the PWI 500. It was okay. okay. You're right about that, but I will put all the rumors and all the factual errors. To rest right here on your podcast. Well, all right. Number number one, Wikipedia says that Bill Apter wrote the first two 500s. Nope. I did. Yes. And that, ask, ask Bill and he will tell you that. I have a question was, about that. Because uh, okay. uh, now, if I'm right, the, the idea kind of spawned from Stu Sachs, right? Yeah, that's, he kind of yes, threw it out I, there. You know, well, we're having one of our usual meetings and he was he's he was thinking, well, the ratings is we need something to juice sales a little bit. Uh I think he said something like, you know, we are, the ratings are so popular. Why don't we do a, a, a you know the list of the top 100 wrestlers? And I chimed in and I said, 100? Why don't we do 500? <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, you think you could do it? I said, sure. I did it. I know. I'll tell you what. You have to remember, this was 1991, the first one was. Mm -hmm. No cell phones. No internet. No way to research other than your whatever you knew yourself and ever whatever you had in the office to you know. We did have some charts and stuff 
stuff like that we were making up on the rest of us as we went along. But I will say, it was a daunting task. I mean, it was pre-laptop computers, my friend. Yep. You know, it was pre. We used a word processing program. We didn't have computers. Can you imagine this? No. And what, um, what happened then it, when you got down to those low, low-ranking guys that nobody knew? How did oh, those I mean, were e- those were easy for me because I got to be honest with you. I was a wrestling junkie. I watched everything. I saw everything. I traveled everywhere. Uh, the lower ones were easier than the middle of the of the list, if I can be honest with you. The top okay. was easy. The bottom was easy. It was trying to figure out who's in the middle that was hard, if that makes any sense. Because yeah. uh-huh. everybody knew who the superstars were at that time. It was guys like Morgus the Maniac at the bottom and <laughs> Zeus and, you know, um, Aki Dildaki or whoever is, you know, losing in, in Indiana that week. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was the middle guys that were hard. And you know what else made it hard? I was just talking to Al Castle about this on my podcast. And we were talking about how did you rate a guy like Bobby Eaton back then? Because he wasn't a single. He was strictly tag teams. How did you quantify him in a list of top 500? And I'm I'm looking back and I'm thinking, boy, we probably gave him a little bit of a short shrift. He's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Yet You couldn't rank him in the top 20 because he wasn't doing singles matches. You see what I'm saying? It made it yep. a quandary. A lot yep. of things made like how do you weigh wins and losses? How do you weigh championships? We we figured it all out at the time. I don't remember how, but we did. We figured it all out back then. But no, it was it was basically a team effort in terms of coming up with the concept. I, I credit Stu Sachs. I'll continue to say it was his initial idea. I kind of honed it, and then it became what it became. And I'm really proud of it because heck, people take this stuff seriously all these years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Sax, I heard, uh, read that Sax, he told a story, I, I believe it was the very first 500, that he said that uh, Stanley Weston came in to the office on a Monday morning and said, hey, somebody left the light on all weekend. And, mm-hmm. and Stu said, nope, nope, Bob was here all weekend, writing actually, those bios and working on the 500. Actually, it's. It, I think it's more intense than this. I believe what happened, and I'm hoping my memory bank is still, but I think I'm right about this. Sue says, you know, you almost got me in trouble. And I said, why? He said, well, so Stanley was coming home from some event. He was out somewhere at midnight. He saw the lights on. He was going to call the cops. <laughs> you know, he, we had this five-story building, and the wrestling department was on the top floor. And he said, lights are on. Somebody, somebody's, somebody's in the office. And Stu had to calm him down. Going, that was Bob. He was burning the midnight oil to get this, um, this article finished. I ended up getting a nice bonus for that. Yeah, <laughs> the first year, the first year anyway, because I they really did see me. I think for about three weeks, I worked night and day weekends. It was that. It was that. It was just that mound of material to put together back then. Yeah. Now it would be much easier because you have files. Mm-hmm. You know, you can save things, stats and figures. You you know, you use Excel documents to, to keep track of stuff. But back then, it was all a stack of papers. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, I, I'm, I, again, I'm proud of it. The first two weren't perfect. We had a computer glitch with one of them. I think a few names got left out of from one of the years. But I'll tell you what. I, I knew people were taking it seriously when Chris Candido walked up to me one day, uh, I think in Memphis. He said, how come I went down 30? In the, in the, uh, <laughs> and I went, oh, my gosh, these guys are taking it seriously. And they did. Yeah. Well, so I, I think people still kind of look at it that way. I looked at it as an informative list. I And even said, I think it said in the intro of the original one, that just making this list is, is a prestige thing. You know, 
yeah. you shouldn't feel bad being in the lower because this means people know who you are as a wrestler. Yeah. And it's still an event. I mean, people still online when it comes out, people are still, they still talk and debate and everything, even though, you know, people, I mean, kayfabe's done, but they still like to talk about it and discuss. I mean, the, the PWI 500 is just a, it's just kind of a part of that, you know, pro wrestling tapestry now. It really is. It really is. And uh, I'm happy to have my little finger in that door, I, you know, get my toe in that door. I, I enjoyed, <laughs> I, like I said, I enjoyed my time there. I didn't quit. And they didn't fire me. It was one of the situations where they were moving away in 93. I couldn't go. I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't go. It, it didn't make financial sense for me to leave New York at that point. So I couldn't go. So I wished them well. And, you know, I continued to freelance for like another year and a half. And then I worked for a couple other magazines. People don't even realize I also worked for WCW magazine, which was uh, Colin Bowman's version of it. And I did some freelance for Sandy Krebs at uh, Wrestling's Main Event. And I also worked for Wow for After. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, remember that the magazine, yeah. the big slick magazine, yeah, while big it was slick, out yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually worked the magazine for like another seven or eight years after, like Peter Roy, but nobody read this stuff. So nobody yeah. knew, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, yeah. I finally got burnt out on around 97, 98 or something like that. I think I just got tired and I went into a different direction. But uh, I ended up doing like entertainment writing for 17 years here in the Long Island, New York area. That, that ended in 2021. So yeah. I've, I've been at some sort of publishing all these years later. But yeah. no, as far as the PWI 500 goes, I'm very proud of the, to be a little part of that legacy that it's, you know, it has achieved. And well, well done on everybody who follows up. I don't know how they do it now even. Yeah. Now they're doing a PWI 500, a women's 250, and a tag D100. Yep, yep. So uh, hats off to them. Yep. I know what kind of work it is. My gosh. Yeah. Well, we, we we mentioned Stanley Weston, right? That's a that's something people hear, but they uh, I don't think Stanley gets enough credit, right? I mean, I'm not knocking Bill after, not at all. But you know, people, Bill was the face, right? The face of the magazines. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. out there in the public, but Stanley was he was the backbone, right? He was the publisher. He was the guy behind it. You know, well, put, he owned he owned the whole yeah. doggone thing, and it was his concepts that led to PWI in '79. You know, he had already been putting out Inside Wrestling and the Wrestler for years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, one thing led to another, and he brought in some really – Stanley was brilliant. First of all, when the magazines caught fire in the early 80s, he decided to build a building on Maple Avenue and Rockville Center, a five-story building. And what he did – this is how smart he was. Magazines are doing great. So he built a five-story brand-new modern building and used the top floor to put our publishing company. He He rented out the first four floors to different companies filled the building and who two major sources of income posts as a landlord and as a magazine publisher. <laughs> How smart is that? No, That's seriously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he was a smart man. He really was. I don't know. I didn't know him during his glory years because he had been in publishing since the fifties, right through the sixties, seventies, eighties. And when he sold in uh, 1992 or 93 was when he decided to sell. But I mean, his flavor of publishing, very gritty, he also did Western magazines and Juicy Detective magazines. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That pulpy style. Yeah. yeah. And he brought that pulpy style into the wrestling world. And some people appreciated it. Some didn't. Like the Apartment House Wrestling feature. Do you remember those? <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> and they were a source of controversy for a lot of And poor after had to put up with it. Wrestlers didn't like it. Yeah. They had wrestlers saying, I don't want to be in a magazine with that porno stuff in it. You know, and... <laughs> You know, for for real, it was a real source of consternation for poor Bill, who was just trying to you know cover the wrestling. Mm-hmm. 
but in any event, Stanley was one of a kind. He could be a very funny guy. Um, and you know what? He was completely hands off. This is going to sound really funny. He lets do sacks lead the team. Uh, Craig Peters uh, also was considered upper management, you know, as far as editorial went with our wrestling magazines. And he let us do what we wanted. He didn't interfere with any decisions we made. We were in charge of, of what we printed and how we printed it. And uh, I give Stanley credit for that. He yeah. just sat back and counted the beans. And I think he was smart to do it because he had a really good staff there. Yeah, I mean, well, that's what I mean. That's what smart ownership does, right? They put the right people in the right places and and let them do their thing. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, and that, that's how good that's how good sports teams work, right? That's right. Well, it's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. You must be a Met fan like me, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a, I'm a Cardinals fan. And, oh, there uh, you go. All right. And uh, we're we're kind of in that same boat here 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 recently, but. Mm-hmm. uh and another, I mean, besides the PWI five, PWI five hundred, another very popular issue the PWI does is the year end awards issue, right? And uh, so, tell us a little bit how how does this work, right? Because we're how did these how are these winners determined? How are these numbers of votes determined? What what was that like in the day doing those? I can tell you right now, and I will stake my reputation on it. Of course, I have no reputation, so who cares? But I will stake my reputation on the fact that they were accurate reflections of fan votes of the people who wrote in and, and said, now I will not vouch for the totals of votes. You know, yeah. uh, let's put it this way. The vote totals were similar to Andre the giant being seven foot four. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And undefeated all those. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Right. Okay. No, but seriously, they were very, very accurate reflections of what the fans, for instance, if it was just for selling magazines, in 91 or 92, how did the Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett feud against the Moondogs win that category of feud of the year? Because right. they'd earned it. They, that's what the votes were for. Yeah. We had covered it. And, you know, there were tape traders around back then, too. Yeah. So everybody saw these really violent matches with that version of the Moondogs and Richard Lee and all this stuff. And they deserved to have a feud of the year because they were it was like every match they had was like the Tupelo concession stamp brawl all over again. Yeah. That's the kind of action that it was. And it deserved to be few of the year. And I'll just rest my case on that. It was the vote totals were an accurate reflection of what the fans were thinking. They really were. Yeah. So you don't ever think there was any during those years when the WWF was not keen on uh, right. letting their wrestle, you know, on the photographers and, and everything else made it difficult for you guys. Uh, sure right. Because they, they were doing their own thing. Right. And they didn't want the, you know, Vince didn't want competition. Was there, was there ever any leaning of, okay, well, we can't get the guy with the plaque. Do we so maybe we need to I mean you you don't think there's any of that to be said for any of the winners? I don't quite understand what you're asking. In other words, in other words, uh do we choose our winners based on accessibility? Maybe. Uh, was there was did that no, influence at all? No, no, no. I remember us giving WWF stars the awards, even though they were never gonna get them. Yeah, right. Uh, um no, that wouldn't make any sense. you had to you know, you had to swallow hard and just do what was right. And you had to reflect, hey, we still had Hogan on the cover of all those magazines. That's, we had no yep. access to him. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, yep. you know, you, you don't want to kill the Golden Goose. By the same token, it was an uncomfortable situation covering them because they, you know, oh, dude, we used to go to Madison Square Garden. Our photographers would sneak uh, 400, 400 uh, millimeter camera lenses into a Subway sandwich bag. <laughs> And bring them in a sack and, and, you know, and shoot from the 300 level seats at the old garden. 
because we didn't have any access to ringside anymore. And somehow we made it work. Somehow we were able to do it. Um, but no, I, I don't think it ever tainted that. You know, you had to look at the industry as a whole. And, you know, it was New York and WWF was based in the area and they yeah. were the most popular. They were the most national and you couldn't ignore it. 800 pound gorilla room. You had to cover it. And you no, know, they won their share of awards. I think like everybody else did. So during my tenure there, no, I didn't think there was any, any bias toward anything other than, you know, the people we felt were deserving of those awards or the fans, I should say. Yeah. So, so moving on then, how, how were assignments for articles? How did those come up? Did, did you guys just have a meeting where you pitched ideals and threw out there, did Stu say, okay, we want to cover this guy this month. This is what's going on the cover. Or how was it a mix of it all? Or it's a mix of it all. And you know, you're pretty close to accurate, but I will say this. We did so many different publications. Yep, right. You know, sports review wrestling, <laughs> inside wrestling, the wrestler, pro wrestling illustrated, PWI Weekly, on and on, superstars of wrestling, and on the titles went. We would probably do a magazine a week at least during my tenure there. One yep. magazine a week. We had an art staff. We had, you know, Ken, and Ken Morgan, bless him. He was he was the real flavor of the Weston magazines when I was there. Um, the great covers he used to do and the great layouts of Ken and his staff. So weekly we would have a we'd have an editorial meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Sit, put, pull our folding chair, not folding chairs, but rolling chairs into a circle. And here comes after, and he has a stack of photographs. He's, here's some from Memphis. Here's our NWA stuff. Here's our WWF stuff. Here's an indie card that's interesting. Bob, what did you shoot recently? Okay. We put all the photos out. We determined what we want to cover. Bill not only had the, the photograph, he also had the angles that were behind the photographs. Mm-hmm. So we could assign articles based on both what we shot in-house, plus we hired all the best photographers that were freelance at that point. Everybody from Bill Otten and Linda Rufa to any name you ever saw, Dr. Mike Lano, they were all in our magazines. Mm-hmm. You know, if you could think of a photographer, they worked for us. <laughs> so we had a whole freelance team as well as our own staff. And week by week, we would decide what went into the magazines. Of course, if there was a super card coming up, we'd try to preview it, that type of thing. Or if we had WrestleMania, that would be a whole issue based on that or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But basically, it's based on what, what Aptor came up with. Uh, more than more than Stu, but they would go over it too. Uh, Stu had ideas. We all had ideas for star- stories. I would pitch ideas. Sometimes they get accepted. Sometimes they wouldn't. It's like being a writer with Saturday Night Live. You know, sometimes you sketch it on the air, or sometimes it doesn't. You know, yeah. But um, it, it basically was it was a team effort. I will say this for that job, it really was a collaborative effort. You know, you say, well, it was the after mags, which is that's the name that Meltzer gave the books. Yeah. But you know what? It was it was really a good collaborative effort. But you know, we had five writers and, and three photographers, and we all kind of worked as a team. There wasn't any stress in terms of oh, I didn't get in or this type of thing. We all had a job to do, and we all did our jobs, and we all had different things to do. I got to do the ratings, which I loved, you know. So, uh, long story short, uh, it was a collaborative effort based on the material we had. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever view yourself as kind of a, you're, it's kind of a mix of a, a journalism and a creative writing in some aspects, right? Because you're, you're reporting some of the happenings in wrestling, mm-hmm. but at the same token, you're, you're kind of trying to add to it, right? You're trying to add a little depth to the eight angles and, and try to, you know, like you're breaking something. You know, does, does that make sense to you? 
It does. And you know what? It, the thing about the London publications or the Stanley's magazine company, we all had news backgrounds. We all were writers in one way or another. I had one to cover journalism or awards long before I started with PWI. We had people on our staff that used to work for Newsday. Our boxing department was first rate, Steve Farhood and everybody there. Um, so we, we, we could write news when we had to. It wasn't all just make up, make up a story about Sergeant Slaughter stubbed his toe or something. You know, it was, it was like we could embellish, but by the same token, when it came time for something, like it's a good point you make. The steroid scandals, right? Yeah. The Bruiser Brody killing. There were times when everything stopped cold and you had to put your serious journalist hat on again. You couldn't mess around with that stuff. Right, yeah. And that was really, really serious material. And we had the writers that could do it. I remember Dave Rosenberg being fantastic on hard news stuff. Yeah. Like if there was a controversy in in the real life side of wrestling, he was the person that wrote about it a lot. He did a bang up job on those things. Um, so yeah, it, it's we could we could you know do a secret interview with you know leather faced <laughs> <laughs> from Memphis, right? You know, we yeah. we could do an interview with the first person to interview Leatherface or. We could put our, our reporter hat on and do something about what's going on in Puerto Rico with Bruiser Brody. Yeah. Um, so it, it was an interesting job in, the, in, in that regard because it was a mix of all that stuff. Yeah. Do you, do you have any uh, any specific articles or anything you worked on specifically that really jump out that that you remember and that you you know as kind of being the I don't know what your 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 grand masterpiece when you were there? I mean that you're especially proud of. I have no ego when it comes to this stuff. I really don't. I, I don't think anything I did was, hmm, how do I put this? That's a really good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, I don't know about it from the writing. I think I'm proud of an article I did on Nikita Koloff, whose wife was dying at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And somehow after we were speaking to him about it and we had access to both his wife and him, and I interviewed them both on the phone and she was, basically on her deathbed at the time. And I was so moved by her story and his story and the real life kicked in and I fell in love with both of them. They were fantastic people and to have them go through this horrible tragedy, but to have to write about it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my tenure at the wrestling magazine. This is real life and death stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and they're good people. And you don't like to see bad things happen to good people. And that was hard, but I think I did a good job in, relaying it to the public without exploiting it. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, don't make a big, you know, tearjerker out of it, but try to tell how tragic the story was. And uh, I thought that was good writing and I, I'm proud of the responsible way I, I did that. But my favorite thing ever was my first steel cage column in PWI. I guess it was around 8990 or something like that where you see me with my arms stretched out in the photo. I got Larry Zabisco on one side and Bruno Sammartino on the other, and they're yelling at each other. <laughs> and I wrote a column about how they had, they, they met up at a, there was some indie card that had uh, Bruno Sammartino Jr., which was David Sammartino, managed by Bruno against Larry Zabisco, managed by Paul Heyman. Oh, yeah. And so they were all there. And, after or Heyman or somebody said, Bob, stand between those two and let them argue. <laughs> Try to break up the fight. Like put your arms out, stretch like, you know, you're going to break the fight up. And that made the magazine and it was a great way to start a column. I'm telling you, yeah. I never had more fun than that. That's to, to stand amongst those legends. 
and it had a, something to do with my favorite feud of all time. Yeah, right. You know, Bruno versus Larry. Oh yeah. gosh, that that was a high watermark for me. I thought it was creative. It was on the spot, came up with, and it came out great. And we got a lot of play on that, and I'm really happy with that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to imagine that another high watermark for you was around 1992. Uh, you did some commentary for ECW when they were filming their pilots. <laughs> How did I that was, come about? I was the first host of the first ECW TV show for the first several episodes, and nobody saw it. <laughs> I do have VHS unplayed tapes of these shows sitting in my apartment somewhere, yeah. unplayed. But I will tell you that somebody, got a hold of one of these and put it uh, or taped it when it was originally shown. And it's on YouTube right now, me and Todd sitting in seats at this little <laughs> TV studio. And I'll tell you what, it's rudimentary, but um, you'll, anybody who wants to look at that, you'll get a kick out of the very, very first Eastern championship wrestling TV shows. Uh, it was Todd's idea. I had gotten to know Todd, uh, Todd Gordon through, uh, you know, uh, the old Joe Goodhart shows, uh -huh. the tri-state yeah. wrestling tri -State. lines. And I went mm -hmm. to every one of those shows in Philadelphia and one day we, when I first met Todd, I didn't even know who he was. We just were talking, killing time before a show, and we instant friendship. I mean, we both had a similar view. I, I, I remember this conversation it was yesterday. I started talking to him, and we started to talk about wrestling psychology. Yeah, it isn't like it used to be, and it just bloomed and bloomed and bloomed this relationship. And his his idea was to bring a Memphis style wrestling group to the East Coast, or at least yeah. to Philadelphia. He had no aspirations and. No thought that the thing would take off the way it did, you know. But in any event, um, that's our friendship just bloomed from there. And when he was looking for a TV house, you know, he, he was going to try Dick Graham, who was with uh, WWE doing their Philadelphia cars from the Spectrum for years and other local notes. He says, Bob, you know, we get along, so why don't you give it a shot? That was all it was. And I gave it a shot. And I actually did some play-by-play, -play, which also ended up on the WWE Network. If you can believe this, I had Stately Wayne Manor from from Wrestling World as my color commentator, and we did a couple of cards in Philadelphia at a place called the Chestnut Cabaret, and they were taped. I never saw them, right? <laughs> and it was after the taping. I sat back in my chair. I'm looking at, I'm looking at Wayne. And I go, okay, take care, Wayne. We'll see you later. And I'm sitting there all by myself. I said, "You suck." <laughs> I thought I was bad. Okay. I, honestly, I thought I had the wrong kind of voice to be a lead announcer on a TV show. I just didn't think I had the right resonance in my voice. And I let Todd know. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. You can find somebody better than this. Well, all these years later, 30 years later, I didn't realize that they had taped the show and kept it and it ended up on the WWE network in the hidden gem section <laughs> of us doing play by play. Now here's the funny part. I listened back. Wasn't that bad. Yeah. It really was. I'm, I'm my own hardest grader, and it it flowed like wrestling. It sounded professional. There was funny banter between uh, Wayne and myself. It actually was a lot better than I gave it credit for at the time. So, it it has a happy ending to the story, though. I was there, I believe, and I I, I got to get a hold of Joe. I, I've actually talked to him recently, Joey Styles, mm -hmm. when. Paul Heyman came to the office to visit after one day, and I, I saw it with my own eyes. And I believe it was the first time that Joey and Paul ever met each other. 
And I remember they in our conference room, which had like glass windows in it. You could just see through it. And they hit it off instantly. And I think it was the day they met. And it probably was less than a year later that Joey was hired to do play-by-play for ECW. Yeah. That's great. I'm glad yeah. I stepped away. Yeah. Seriously. Because Joey was destined and really great at that job. You know, he was destined to do it. He's the smartest kid that ever walked in there other than me. <laughs> that, no, I'm, I'm not being egotistical. I just knew what I knew when I walked in there. I knew a lot yeah. about wrestling walking into that office. Joey knew as much or more than I did. Yeah. He was the, one of the smartest wrestling people I've ever, ever met. Not even close. And he was the perfect guy for that job. He had the sensibility. It's like a cross between. He was like a new age Gordon Soley. You know, it was like if Gordon Soley was young in that environment of wild, hardcore wrestling, what would he act like? Probably Joey Styles. Yeah. So um, I've never been so happy to walk away from something because Joey Styles became a legendary announcer for that. And I'm great. It all worked yep. out as far as I'm concerned. Well, unfortunately, between you and Joey, they did have Jay Soley in there for a bit. And he was a. Why does everybody bring poor Jay? Everybody, <laughs> everybody ranks on Jay. No, no. Be, I, I but, always thought Jay but, was entertaining and amusing. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't think it was. I don't know what it, I, I didn't think he was that awful. I don't know. I, I, I don't think, know. I, no, well, I think it's when when you compare to, like you said, Joey's work, it, it seems pretty off. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, Joey was Joey just walked in and took over. I mean, and rightfully so. Yeah. He even had the right look. You know, it just it just worked. Yeah. Destiny. Destiny, my friend. Yeah. I mean, much like Lance Russell and those guys, he he brought a, brought a, almost a sense of a sensibility to the chaos, right? I mean, he was you respected him, you listened, you believed him. And, and isn't uh, it, you you make a great point there. Isn't it amazing how the best wrestling shows have the right announcer for that show? Like Lance Russell and Dave Brown in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Or Sam Meneker. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Was he perfect for that or he what? Was, he was, yeah. You can't even imagine another voice. In fact, when they tried other voices, it never seemed right again, did it? Nope. Nope. And then you have somebody like Joey who knew, knew, knew old. He was, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this. Joey was an intern with our magazines and wrote a heel column in one of our magazines. He he had a heel column. Really? Written in a, in a rule breaker voice, yeah. And I believe we put out a magazine called Wrestling's Bad Guys for a while. Uh-huh. Our first magazine ever to have nothing but praise for bad guys in it, which was uh-huh. a new concept. I don't know how well the magazine did, but uh, <laughs> it's not around anymore, so that should tell you everything you need to know. But in any event, um, yeah, Joey and I actually worked together, and uh, I remember I showed up once at an ECW show, and he doesn't always going to be there. It was like a home week. He's such a nice man. Oh, my gosh. Great guy, Joey Style. I can't talk about him enough. I think he's just a wonderful human being. Yeah, well, you you said you worked for Aptor at the uh, the Wow magazine stuff, but did did Aptor did he publish or print the ECW magazine? Because it had that same style as Wow, that glossy style. Can I, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen the ECW magazine. It's very much like Wow. Uh, that, I guess that would have been though after you had uh, had stepped away from wrestling writing, though, by what you said. So probably, yeah. I no, I never saw it, so I can't make a comment. On it. I just don't know. I don't. I don't recall. It, it didn't See, last long. <laughs> well, it was, they never do. This is a problem with these wrestling magazines. Oh, you know, I worked for two different versions of WCW magazine too. The first one people don't realize was printed by GC London. It was our staff that did it. Yep. The, the first edition, and then for some reason that went away, and then it was revived by Colin Bowman, the the magazine publisher out of Florida, 
and he hired me to be one of his assistants. And I worked there on and off for, for several years, you know, you know, through the NWO era and all that stuff. And until they decided to do it themselves. And then they, they killed the magazine off the same way they killed WCW off, you know, <laughs> through decisions. But anyway, um, I don't know what to say other than uh, my phone kept ringing. You know, when it yeah. wasn't Colin Bowman called me, Sandy Krebs called me. So how'd you like to work for me? And then after says, I need somebody to work for. Wow. My phone rang and rang for years until I'll be honest with you. My life took a different turn. I was really busy. And I, I had to stop freelancing. I didn't even have time to freelance and I had to stop writing wrestling at that point. That's all it was. Yeah. Did, uh, so you did the commentary. Was there ever anybody ever approach you to do anything else? More commentary, a managing thing, anything like that? They're in the Northeast. <sighs> Two things. Number one, I did some color on IWCCW with Brian Webster once. In fact, once it was just Brian and I in the booth for an entire three-show taping once. I don't know if this stuff ever got shown or not. I'd have to check out the Savoldi video library to see if that stuff's on there. But um, as far as I was concerned, Mario Savoldi was told me, anytime you want to show up, you're on the show. He liked what I did for him. and. Uh, but no, it wasn't. It wasn't a serious thing, you know. I WCCW. It was kind of, you know, it was. Uh, Brian was great. Brian Webster's a great play-by-play guy. But um, I don't even know how I ended up doing color for them. To be honest with you, <laughs> it just worked out that way. They had also Mike Mittman doing commentary for them. So yeah. I guess they just liked me and threw me on the show. So that was fun. But no, nobody in a serious way ever said Bob come and do commentary. It, what was the other part of the question? It's a two prong question. Uh, uh, well, I, I didn't know if anybody ever approached you about doing uh, something a little more in front of the camera, a little more managing or a commissioner type thing or anything like that on independent shows. I was told early in ECW they were having trouble with some booking. I'm talking the earliest Eastern Championship Wrestling. Mm hmm. And the wrestlers supposedly, I'm not going to say who said this. I don't want to talk out of turn, but I know this was said to me on the phone. We were sitting around in a circle. One of the wrestlers said, and we said, you'd be a perfect booker for this. For early Eastern Championship. He said, you know all about wrestling. All the guys respect you. Why don't, you know, we're going to talk to Todd about maybe bringing you in. And that's all I ever heard. I never heard anything <laughs> else about it. Yeah. So I don't know if that's true or fake or I don't know what it was, but I was told that. No, you know what? I would have loved to have tried booking because, like I said, my favorite wrestling trips was where I got to talk to Jerry Jarrett and Gordon Soley. Not the wrestlers so much. Not that I didn't enjoy talking to the wrestlers, but the people involved with the nuts and bolts of making wrestling. What makes a star? What makes a good car? What makes a feud? What sells tickets? That's the stuff that fascinated me then. It still fascinates me now. You know, it's 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 what I like about wrestling. Yeah. How you can manipulate people into, into feeling emotions and want to come out and see wrestling. I would have really liked an opportunity to, to work in any behind the scenes capacity for a wrestling organization. Um, it never did happen though, for yeah. whatever reason. It just, I, I, if I was being thought of, like for instance, when W's, uh, WWF was putting their magazine out and the word got on the street that Stanley was selling the magazines. Mm -hmm. The first person that got hired wasn't a writer for uh, Roy London, one of our photographers was hired by WWE for their magazine. And I don't think they approached any of our writers, which surprised me. 
Yeah. Because they knew obviously we were you know all looking for work. <laughs> <laughs> so so um you know they just looked at the photography. I don't think they looked at the writing staff either they had a full staff or whatever. And I will be honest, at certain during the last thirty years I have winged the occasional resume out to WWE and I have heard Bupkis. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. I'm probably too much of a fossil to work in the industry now, but um not not for lack of trying, we'll put it that way. Yeah, well, it's so different now. I mean, everything is so corporate and everything now. But uh, but you're kind of you've kind of transitioned over to the what's almost the modern form of journalism within in podcasting. Yeah, uh, you I, you and, develop and boy, host. Do I, boy do I love it too. Yeah, you go ahead. I didn't mean to in, cut you off. No, no, you're fine. You develop and host the uh, the outdated wrestling hour. So what what brought you back? What made you decide? Hey, let's let's do this. Well. To be honest, the year of 2021, I think, I spent as the co-host on John Rizzi's podcast. Mm -hmm. John decided to go in a different direction at the onset of 2022, or excuse me, 2023. The minute he made that decision, I said, he's making a mistake. I'm doing my own thing now. And I started it on a whim with that wild hair up my butt. And I got more and more into it. I talked to Famous podcast. If there's a podcast out there, I've talked to them in private, picking their brains, picking their minds. You know, I, I, I'm a geek for buying equipment. Like I said, I'm talking to you through a brand new microphone now. <laughs> I mean, I I try to make it sound as good as I can. I research what I talk about. I try to get interesting guests that are off the beaten path a little bit. And it's worked. Um, I just wanted to be in radio when I was in college. I went to SUNY Brockport, which has a communications uh, you know, you get a communications degree up there. I don't have a communications degree. I didn't last there that long. <laughs> but I will say that it was always my goal to be on radio when I was a kid in my teens. I loved radio and I wanted to be a radio guy. Never had the opportunity to do it. Real life takes over sometimes, you know, it leads mm -hmm. you in a different direction. Yep. But all these decades later, now I can do the modern version of radio, which is podcasting. Yep. Absolutely. It, but what I, but, Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. as I say, it's almost like the perfect storm of all, all your past, right? It's your your yes. sta your your stage experience and music experience, your your journalism experience, your your experience at shows and just attending and just being a fan. It's it's almost like all these things meld together perfectly for podcasting. I think you're right, and I think that's uh, the other thing that really I I should appreciate what John Rizzi because I'll tell you this. I did not know how, and I didn't dream. Dave, that people remember what I did from all those years ago or would even care. And I found out through doing that podcast, the John Rizzi Pro Wrestling Spotlight, that people remembered. Mm -hmm. I started to get emails. I started to get people on, like, you know, we're both on Facebook, you and I. People sending me my old clips of my old stories I wrote and pictures <laughs> and, and all this other stuff that people dug out of their drawers or, you know, me posing with somebody outside Madison Square Garden and that kind of thing. And I'm like, wow, people valued what I did way back then. When I left wrestling, I kind of put it, you ever, you ever have a good experience, but you say, well, that time has come to an end. So you kind of put it in a drawer and walk away from it and move sure. on, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I did with wrestling. As it turns out, I probably shouldn't have done that I, because <laughs> I found out that people, and I don't want to sound corny or over important about it, but people valued what we did back then. Sure. Wrestling magazines were a part of so many people's lives. I know they were mine. Yep. I read wrestling magazines from the time I was a kid 
to two weeks before I joined PWI, I was still buying wrestling magazines. Yep. So I didn't realize the impact and the enjoyment that people got out of them. You know, they really loved them. Sure. So you know what? Why not? Let's go back in time. That's that's what this podcast might, is primarily about. Let's go back in time. Let's look back at the stuff we all enjoyed. Let's gripe about the stuff that bothers us now. Let's just have some fun with it. Yeah. I don't want to do shoots. I don't like words like shoots or marks or smarts. I don't care about any of that stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I just want to have the fun that we used to have when we were kids, discovering wrestling, the feeling we got from it. It's this stuff supposed to be fun. This is our leisure time, right? Yeah. Well, I so I mean that's I've, that's the aspect I'm looking at here. Yeah, I mean I've been on your show. I've listened to the majority of your episodes. I, I got to say, hearing you talk here today and everything, I I feel like this is kind of maybe what some of those uh, writing room discussions might have been like back in the day at PWI between you and the other writers. It very very similar to what you have on your podcast. It is, you know, something that I've told other people that you you, you nailed it. I said, every time I do a podcast, it's like I'm back behind my desk in Rockville Center, New York. It's what it feels like. All the years melt off of me, and it feels like I'm at my old job again. I swear. In fact, I just had Al Castle from PWI on my mm-hmm. podcast. Right. It's the one that's out right now. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like talking to him, I feel like I work with the guy because he's doing the same thing I did 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah same exact thing that I, I did. So it's funny how life comes for a full circle. I don't know what luck led me to being kind of rediscovered again but i'm enjoying every moment of it and i'm not doing it for the money you know as a podcaster we don't do it for the money nope you know if you if you look at it that way you should look elsewhere (laughs) but you know what i've already exceeded my expectations in terms of listenership and i'll put it this way i'm not losing money doing this right yeah so how can I not be having the time of my life? And you know something? This is my fountain of youth right here. So I'll do it, like I say, until it seems unseemly or I get too old to do it. But for now, let's have some fun, you know? Yep. Uh, I mean, I agree. That's uh, it's. I, I love talking to people. I love telling stories, hearing stories. And this is, a, you know, podcasting to me, this is, this is my way to stay somewhat involved in the wrestling business. This is what I have. And, uh, you know, if we're uh, preserving a little of that history, all the better, too. Right. This is the way this is the way the modern way to do that. Right. To, to tell those stories, preserve those stories. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Some of this has been magical for me. I had Paige Von Hess Sutherland on a couple yeah. of months ago. Mm-hmm. I know you know who she is. Uh-huh. Yep. I, you probably know her personally because she's such a nice lady. Yeah. And her dad, Kurt Von Hess, the German heel, mm-hmm. was one of the first wrestlers I ever remember seeing at 10, 11, 12 years old. And I tell her this. And the impact that he had on me, he was on my local TV. And, you know, she's getting choked up and I'm getting choked up. And we're finally looking back to the time when we were younger, we were children and loving the hell out of professional wrestling. And you know what? That's, it's magic. Yep. You know, there's something about the camaraderie, such a silly, violent sport that professional wrestling is somehow brings people together in a way that nothing else does. Not even baseball, because I'm a huge baseball fan too. Yeah, me too. It, it, it's a community unlike anything I've ever seen or, or been around. And I'll be honest, so many of the people are just great folks that have been involved in this, this industry. So, yeah, people can talk about the steroid era and this is bad and that's bad and this happened and that happened and corporate, you know, everything's corporate now and this and that. I'm here to tell you there's some really great people in the professional wrestling world. And uh, yeah. why not celebrate the good stuff, too? Yep. 
Yep, I agree. That's what I I always say on my shows is you know what just just talk about support the things stuff you like and just ignore the stuff you don't. I mean, no, why why even bother? I mean, it it's just if you don't like it, if well, it's a, if it's a problem, well, just ignore it. Well, we're in a funny, funny media world these days because negativity sells like crazy. It does. It does. Yeah, it does. I have to admit it. Negativity, negativity is, it's a, you know, the wrestling expression, what was it? Uh, red turns to green, right? About blood. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now negativity turns to green. It, it's yep. like whether it be TV commentators or wrestling podcasters, or, there's some, there's some vicious wrestling podcasts that are way up there in the ratings, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, each to their own, I'm going to, I'm going to do my own thing. And, yep. and that is the key. key I, I know you do the same thing with your podcast. This is mine. I'm doing it for my enjoyment. And I'm hoping other people enjoy it too, but I'm not going to bend to anybody else's ideas mm-hmm. of what a podcast should be. I want to be original, do my own thing and hope people enjoy it. And yeah. That's it. Yeah, there's so many people that I don't know. They seem like they uh they're slaves to the sound bites. They want to get the sound bite, the next hot sound bite. And I'm like, eh, I don't care. I don't I I don't I don't need that kind of attention. If that's if that's how it's gonna come, then I don't want it. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. I, I got my first real national news break on my fifteenth episode, twentieth episode, whatever when Todd Gordon came on. Yeah. I, I was the first media person to interview Todd before his book came out. And I did it yeah. two months before the book came out, right? Right. Uh-huh. So the quotes start flying all over the place. Yeah. One of these SEO wrestling, wrestling websites picked up on the story and quoted it all over the place. And I see it on one site. I see it on second site, third site, fourth site, fifth site. Next thing I know, even Meltzer reported it. And it was just quotes that Todd made on the show, which were not inflammatory, just surprisingly rancorous. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you read Todd's book, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yep. So but they all got the name of the podcast wrong. There's <laughs> one site picked up from another site, from another site and another site. I mean, they linked to it, which was nice. Yeah. But by the same token, it's like you couldn't, the outdated wrestling hour is not that hard. They call it the outdated wrestling podcast. I'm like, oh gosh. So, you know what, even when you, win, you lose, um, I, I don't know what to say other than it's a funny world, the podcast industry. It's like grabbing for smoke, isn't it, Dave? It is. It's like you're doing everything right, and sometimes stuff still comes out wrong. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, you know, you know, if you don't have fun with it, why do it? So uh, yeah. what the heck? I mean, I'm such a geek for this stuff now. I'm always looking at I'm always looking for, I'm, like I told you right now, I'm, I'm speaking out of a new mic, and I'm always looking mm-hmm. at different microphones and this different, this, that, oh, should I get a different sound mixer? Should I use a different company to host? You know, yep. there's a million ways to look at it. Yeah. And you know what? The key is to have fun with every aspect of it. And I think that's why I'm doing so well with it. Cause it's, I think it translates to people listening at home. Same it's with your nice. show. Yeah. Same with your show. Your show, yeah. your show is a meat and potatoes look at real nostalgia that you can't really get anywhere else. So like I say, I'm a fan of your show too, because well, I appreciate that. there's a need for this kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I only, yeah, I only cover, talk to people that I, <laughs> that I like and I enjoy because I figure, Hey, if I want to hear it, then there's other people that want to hear it. And if it's something else, then, well, there's other shows for that. I mean, I don't, I don't talk, I don't talk to anybody just to talk to them. I have to have an well, interest in them. <laughs> well, there's the thing. I'm going to bring a couple of wrestlers on in the next few weeks and I, I, I'm not interested in shoot interviews. Mm-mm. I'm not, I don't care that you had an argument with Biff 30 years ago. I, I don't. I am more interested in what they actually did in the ring, their feelings about the sport, how they feel about their accomplishments and, and did they enjoy their careers? I, I want to be around the more positive aspect of things because yeah. you can find the dirt everywhere. Dirt, dirt is too easy now. 
Yeah. I've had a couple guys on and then I've, after the fact, I've got people that have messaged me and be like, well, you know, they were working you, right? They were just, they were just keeping up kayfabe. I'm like, I don't, so I, I yeah, I'm aware, but who cares if that's yeah. what they, if that's what they wanted to do. So be it. I, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, that's fine. I had, a, mm. I had a guy, you know, a guy on who was originally from somewhere in the Midwest that always played a Russian character and he kept up, you know, tried to keep up the Russian accent in the show. And I thought, I thought it was humorous. <laughs> I like it's, I don't care. It's, that's funny to me. I mean, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Well, you, you know, you know what though, wrestling can't keep a secret anymore. That's the one no, thing that we'll get a little yeah. serious about this. Wrestling can't keep a secret, and that's a problem. And everything is kayfabe, and everything is is just shoot, and everything is this or that. Let me tell you, wrestling was way more enjoyable when you didn't know what was going to happen before it happens. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like somebody's supposed to be a surprise on a pay per view or something, and then they show up, and you see fans at the arena holding up signs with that guy's name on them because they yep, knew he yep. was going to be there. Yep. How was that better? Yep. It's not better. Nope. You know, it's like, and you know, people are always digging, digging for dirt, digging for dirt. You know, we're going to dig this industry right into an early grave, and I don't want to do that. You know, it, yeah. it's, you know what I'm saying? I do. It's like, it's all, everybody wants to see me part, the secrets, la di da. Yep. You know what? Let, let the others do that. Let the others gripe about this or that. You know, he's not getting used right. You know, I don't even like that terminology. I, I'd rather not be into that stuff. It, yeah. And maybe I'll be an exception to rule. Somebody wrote me a letter about my podcast. Hey, Joe happy. You suck because, um, <laughs> you know, you're always upbeat and, you know, you, you don't look at the bad stuff that's going on in wrestling. You don't look at the horrible stuff that happened in 92. La di da di da. And you know what? There's a million other podcasts where you can hear those things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember being a kid and it's, you'd watch it and it's eh. In the back of your head, you you knew, right? You knew something was wasn't on the up and up, right? You 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 knew, but man, I would go out to the general public, and if anybody called wrestling fake, man, I'd I'd argue with them. I didn't care what I thought I knew or what I'd argue, I'd defend <laughs> because I was gonna I was gonna keep I was gonna keep the act up myself if need be, and and uh, you know, there's um, the world needs a little more magic. And uh, well, you, I always talk about this son this uh, you know when you and i were kids uh, i'm assuming you're a similar vintage that i am who knows you may be a little (laughs) younger but i will say there was nothing we all had a coterie of friends in high school yep that i used to go to wrestling with yep but we never tell anybody about it because it wasn't cool nope absolutely not you know it definitely (laughs) was the least the farthest thing from cool you didn't let the girls know because they thought it was you know ucky they didn't like wrestling at all back then yeah so when you say, oh, you know, somebody would teach you wrestling's fake, I wouldn't care if they said that. But when I, you know, the same people who said, oh, wrestling's fake, found out I was working for PWI, they wanted to know all the insider secrets once <laughs> I was there, you know, when I saw them at class reunions and stuff. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's like, I think wrestling is the secret thing that everybody likes, but not everybody will admit. Yeah. I've told my kids uh, that about comic books, too. I said, man, you guys, you live in an age when it's cool to be a comic book fan and watch these movies. When I was a kid, I was still reading them in high school, but man, you didn't tell anybody you were reading comic books in high school. <laughs> That's right. And you know, I read them, I read them through my high school years too. Yeah. 12, they were 12, 15 and 25 cents. I remember as the yeah. price went up. Remember? Yeah. You see Marvel Charlton once in a while. That's yeah. it. it was, I read all the superheroes. I never told anybody. Nope. And that's just like with the movies and the shows, like we didn't have any of that one. <laughs> we, no, we had nothing. No. I'm like, you you don't understand how hard it was to be a comic book fan back then. <laughs> when you got to a certain you, age. <laughs> And not every not every newsstand had comics, which nope. everybody was looking for the best um, comics rack in their town. You remember the old yep. spinner racks? Remember yep. those? Yep. 
Everybody went to the store with the spinner rack because they could hold the most comics. <laughs> yep, I was there was a, there was a local drugstore that always had the best best selection. That's where I always went and bought my stuff. <laughs> Me too. We, ours was a, a little newsstand that was inside a diner. Yep, yep. Which was the best? Oh, my memories, my friend. One of my best friends in my who is God rest his soul no longer with us. Some of my best wrestling memories. I don't care what's happening since then. Was sitting down at Williams Lunch in Catskill, New York, with my friend Rick. And taking a wrestling magazine off the stands and talking about it while we had our cheeseburgers. <laughs> yep. I've had a lot of experiences. Nothing has been more fun than that. Yep. So, you know, having a good friend who was also into it. Absolutely. I'm telling you, uh, those were the days, my friend. Yeah. I don't want to get I don't want to get maudlin, but you know, it's it's <laughs> no, like you know what no, I'm no. saying? I that do. I think is is the glue that holds this wrestling community together. I think we all had moments like that, and we're trying to relive them. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So, well, I think that's it, man. I think that's a good point to start wrapping. It's uh, <laughs> let's uh, everybody needs everybody needs to to to, to believe in wrestling a little more and, and quit picking it apart. Quit worrying about it. <laughs> I agree. I mean, listen, we're, we're going to come times like there's things that irk me too about the psychology sure. in the matches. Yeah. I don't yeah. care about the refluvia in the back rooms. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the the way matches are structured and the, the spots and things like that that are way out in left field. Yep. Sure, that bothers me, and I'll talk about that on my show too. Yep. But overall, um, you know, we still got it. There's still wrestling. Look at it this way: how many other things have faded from the season? No roller derby anymore, right? There's none of that. Nope. So nope. we still have it. And you know what? One of these days, somebody's going to put out another product that's going to be utterly fantastic that everybody can get behind. We're all going to have a great time. In the meantime, we can pick and choose between what we see. At least we still have it. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, uh, like we said, for those of us who aren't hip on the, the, don't really care for the current product, we have a, we've got podcasts like yours to talk about uh, some of the, uh, the good old days, the outdated wrestling hour. Uh, Bob, what the, uh, they can find it pretty much on any podcast platform, right? That's all they have to do is go look up. I'll tell you what, we're everywhere I can think of. I can't think of any any platforms where we're not. There are probably some in Europe or something we didn't catch yet. <laughs> we even launched about a month ago on YouTube. We put all the old yep. mm-hmm. episodes on regular TV YouTube, you know, streaming. It's yep. just it's just our usual, you know, a uh, box, our placard there. You, you don't yep. I wish I could afford I wish I had a budget like Jim Cornette where I could put a cartoon on every one of these on YouTube. But I don't. So in the meantime, I just put it there for convenience for listeners' convenience sake. If they if they prefer to listen to it that way, they can there. But yeah, we're on YouTube and we're everywhere else. Yep. You know, so uh and what the, besides that, besides subscribing to the podcast, uh, is there any other way they can follow you out there on social media? Do you do you post much yes. else? Yes. Oh yeah, I'm I'm living on Facebook these days. I find Facebook to be the best way to get the word out about the show. So look for Bob Smith on Facebook, and if you can't figure out which of the eighteen thousand Bob Smiths it is, it's the only one singing with BB King on the lead page go. of my Facebook. Right. So yeah. th- th- just type it in, you'll find it. I promise you. It's hard to believe. Yeah, that's the best way. That's the best way to do it. Hard to believe, Bob. Bob Smith, such an original name. <laughs> that's the thing. I had to, I had to differentiate it somehow. You know, at least I've got it. I guarantee you there's no other Bob Smith singing with BB King on there. Probably Facebook not. Show. Probably not. No, nope. absolutely not. No. <laughs> well, Bob, thanks for coming on. And like I said, I think we could talk for hours. We'll have to have you back on again down the road and just talk more. And, and you're going to, you're going to have to come back on my little thing too. Sure. come up with a topic. And uh, cause sure. you're such, Oh, I got one question for you before I go. Okay. You ever going to get those uh, tapes digitized? You know what I mean? Those uh. wonderful, 
Those are bedlams that are sitting in your room uh, waiting, waiting man, for the light of day, my friend. Uh, I'm trying. I'm, I'm looking at them right now. They're right here beside me, actually. And oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at these. I've got the old U, whatever they call U-Matic tapes. There's just stacks mm-hmm. of them. I've got them sorted out by years and everything. And, um, man, the thing is, it's so hard to find somebody that has U-Matic players that will convert them nowadays. And You know what? This is going to sound really weird. I bet I, I found somebody for you. I don't know if it's affordable, but I work in a building where the tenant next door is a digitizer. By He, he does things for companies all over the country. I bet he's got a Umatic player in there somewhere. Maybe. I mean, I've, you know, I'm have i here in North Carolina, North Carolina now, and I've reached out to – I'm about three hours from Charlotte. There's some places in Charlotte, but, uh, but I'm closer to Raleigh. And I've reached out to some places in Raleigh, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, we digitize. We digitize. I'm like, they're like, what do you have? And I have, well, I have a ton of Umatic. Oh, no, we don't have a Umatic one. We don't have a Umatic one. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> what do you have? Do you just have, have you just, are you strictly VHS and beta or what? I don't, but uh, I don't understand. I'll tell you what, I'm going to standard... research, research this for you, for this company that I know right here, right next to me where I'm sitting right now. All right. Yeah. Because he, he digitizes stuff. I have gone inside his building and he has a business where he has every single type of player you can imagine, from cassette players to, to movie film, to everything in between. I'm I, gonna I, ask him, a I even thought one time, I thought, well, maybe I'll just look into just buying a, a player myself and I'll do it myself. Cause I have, you know, I have the software and the equipment cause I've, you know, digitized from VHS before. And man, right. you Umatic players are expensive and every place it's like they almost, anybody selling one is always like, well, we don't know if it works. <laughs> So I'm like, well, I'm not oh, spending, yeah. I'm not spending seven hundred dollars to to take a chance when there's no one that can fix this thing anymore. <laughs> so that's right, that's right. Well, be careful with that. That's for yes. sure. I'm no, hoping because man, yeah, I'm dying we'll get, to see them. Well, I'm going to put my sleuthing hat on and see if I can find somebody who can do it for you because it's like, I, oh, you got a treasure trove in there, my friend. My gosh, uh, I, I know. And I one more time, thank you, thank you, thank you for getting Bruiser Bedlam. Yeah, and those Indianapolis area tapes on the air. They have been at nothing but a wonderful education and people can discover if you all your fans out there if you haven't seen them dave posts yeah. this great stuff on youtube and i'll tell you what it is worth checking out there's yeah. some great action from the indianapolis era sam medica come on folks you gotta go check it out and i'm telling you i can i'm sure i can plug a lot of empty holes in those timelines if with some of these things i mean i there there's oh i've got so many of them over here and uh um, you know, They'll discover the greatness, the unknown greatness of Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. They'll see a young Rick uh-huh. Steiner. I mean, there's so many things it to is. look at. You'll see the second best heel turn of 1980. The first one was Larry Zabisco. The second was Chris <laughs> Carter. That's right. Yeah. He turned so into many. a different guy. He was so oh, good. I, yeah. I could talk I could talk all day about the unheralded talents that came. Uh, I mean, Chris Carter, the uh, Jerry Graham Jr., great Wojo. These guys were great. They were. They were Talented. legitimately good. And, and, yep. you know, it shocked me. It shocked me. And thanks to you, I would never would have seen these things. So once again, my heartfelt yeah. thank you to you. Well, hopefully, hopefully more is coming at someday. I'm I'm still plugging away, still looking, hoping. Right, you can, I, I still okay. got them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, thanks again for coming on and thanks for talking to me. Like I said, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to make some appearances again because I think we could just talk for hours on end. So uh Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Everybody check out the Outdated Wrestling Hour out there on any podcast platform. And you'll add Bob on Facebook, follow him on Facebook so you can keep up on that. Uh, you never know. Maybe Bob will pop up the Northeast doing some appearances here and there. You never know what uh, what the future might bring. So uh, once again, Bob, thanks for your time. And uh, it was good talking to you. Dave, you're a credit to this industry, my friend. I mean that sincerely. And uh, 
Thanks again. I can't have more fun than this, so you made my Friday night. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Wrestling Fans International Association is back. That's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at thewfia.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA 1969. All right. Welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. I am your host, Dave Dynasty. Thank you to Bob Smith for coming on the show and chatting with me. What a great talk that was. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. Uh, And if you'd like to hear more, Bob, go check out the Outdated Wrestling Hour. You can find it on any and all podcast platforms. Just give him a search. Give him a subscribe. Tell him Dave Dynasty sent you. And there you go. Uh, We'll have another episode coming for you in two weeks. Uh, Until then, once again, make sure you follow me on social media. Uh, best way to do that is on X at the Dave Dynasty, but I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. Make sure you subscribe to me on YouTube. Look up Nostalgic Dave Dynasty, and there you'll find me. And the best way to support the show is to buy a shirt. Go to prowrestlingtees.com/slash/thedavedynasty and buy a shirt. We have a slew of them there. Surely there will be one that you like. Um, thank you again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. Doing all those things to help us grow, to help us network. To help our name get out there to the masses. Uh, Remember, like I told Bob, one of my mottos here, you know, support what you like, ignore what you don't, and don't get caught up in drama, especially online and social media. But once again, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Wrestling Nostalgia. Until then, wherever you go and whatever you do, be good, be safe, and always keep on growing.